Somewhere on the Thanksgiving weekend, you might say, I'm happy. You know, I've got a home. I've got food on my table. Those are natural blessings. But let's go a little further beyond that. Let's just say, thank you, Lord, for your grace to me and your mercy to me. Sister Lucy, thank you for the special and the testimony. We need to be reminded of all the good things he's done for us. Amen. Don't you believe that? You might sit here today, you know, we're, we've got a church, we've got these things. And, you know, just yesterday in the nation of Israel, they woke up. Little children were dragged from their beds, taken prisoner. Moms and people were killed and peace was shattered. Israel has lived for years with much of the Arab world around them against them. They're a type of the bride. We've got enemy against us everywhere we look around us. But yet God is going to see Israel through. Not all of Israel is real Jews. But there are those that are there. Amen. And I believe God, it's a type, friends. The world is on a collision course that it cannot stop. And it, it ought to make us take notice and say, I thank you for today, Lord. I don't know what tomorrow holds. But Lord, let me take today what I need. Let me receive the word that will help me in my spiritual journey. I believe God's going to speak to us today. Brother Jean spoke to the young people. Brother Jean Manassi is a brother. He grew up in the message, so to speak. He gave his testimony. It was a blessing. If you want to go back and listen to the young people's service, it was wonderful. He also shared the word. And I believe we're going to be blessed today. I believe that God's taking young men and raising them up and using them. I believe God's bringing every resource together that the bride of Jesus Christ can fulfill what she has for him. So we're going to invite our brother to come and speak this morning. I'll say this. You pull on God. Pull on the word and you watch God minister to you. Amen. Amen. I, 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 I got to get out of the way here, but... Let's just sing one more chorus. Wonderful, merciful Father. I think it's, it's how it goes. But uh, just want to remember this morning, Brother Jewel Forney has been put in hospital again. And he's got fluid build up in his lungs. We want to remember him just to keep him in prayer over the weekend. Also, Sister Erica Parker, that's Brother Donnie's daughter, has been hospitalized again with pneumonia on her lungs. And, pancreatitis and colitis and and there's high ammonia build up in her body I believe the enemy is just doing that to get at brother Donnie mm. and he said that the as he was ministering the other day as he was in the study the enemy went to him and said if you'll let up I'll let go of your daughter and he said I'm not going to let up Amen. friends the enemy is against us but we've got our God for us Amen. Will you look to him this morning 
Amen. Let's just sing this wonderful, merciful Father. We invite our brother Jean Manassi this morning. Wonderful, wonderful merciful Savior, precious Redeemer and friend, who would have thought that a lamb could rescue the souls of men? Oh, you rescue the souls of men. Counselor. morning happy thanksgiving Amen. i'm a uh, privilege and happy to be here this morning and i thank brother brother ed for the kind invitation i have not left over the bible before so this is my first time out of the church and uh i, I feel like i'm at home Amen. so uh, I, I thank you for the hospitality and uh, we had a wonderful time with the young peoples on on friday and i just trust that the lord will speak something that will encourage you this morning I'd like to bring you greetings from uh, our pastor, Brother Tom Ray. He messaged me yesterday. He wanted to bring greetings to the church and especially to your brother, Ed. And obviously, the rest of the ministers there at Clover the Bible Way. Amen. Um, I also bring you greetings from uh, Brother Tim Dye. You want to make, make sure that I mention that as well, that he's thinking of you and he sends his love. I've been having such a good time here with our brother Andrew. It's been just been a wonderful fellowship. Yesterday, we are, we're having brunch and... Um, just a wonderful time of fellowship with the other ministers. You know, obviously, Brother Andrew was there with his wife, and Brother John came with his wife, and Brother Maxwell came without a wife. Uh, but we're praying for that. Uh, Brother Mark was there as well. And it was just such a wonderful time, and we had a great time of fellowship. And then I, 
then it dawned on me that this is more than just a brunch. This is a plot to get me to move here. <laughs> and uh, Brother John, being the, you know, the policy uh, worker that he is, he even told me about the plans that the government of Alberta has for renewable energy and, and, and reusable plastic, and he's trying to convince me to move here. And Brother Maxwell started talking about the pricing of the price of real estate and property, and I thought, man, maybe I should move here. <laughs> So then I, I call my wife and I say, honey, we're moving to Edmonton. <laughs> Being the good and supportive wife that she is, she said, no. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's just been a wonderful time. It's been good to be here, and I trust that the Lord will bless us this morning. I'm not a deep preacher, but you know, I, just I just love the Lord, and I love the Word. And uh, maybe today I will just say a few things that will make us realize how thankful we are to be. You know, Brother Ed spoke about the things that God has blessed us with in our natural lives, and, but maybe we can look at what God has blessed us in these last days. Amen. Amen. So if you don't mind, we'll turn to the Word. We'll start in the New Testament in the book of Luke chapter 4. And uh, we will start verse 16 to 21. Luke chapter 4, 16 to 21. And he came to Nazareth, speaking of the Lord Jesus, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book... He found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Amen. And now we know, Barabam says there's a second part to that, to that scripture, but he stopped here because this is what pertains to his first coming. And verse 20 and he closed the book, and he gave it again to, me, to the minister, and sat down. And the eyes of all of them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears. Now we can go in the Old Testament. We'll go in the book of Psalms, chapter 118. And we will be reading from verse 19 to verse 24. Psalms 118, 19 to 24. Open to me the gates of righteousness. I will go into them and I will praise the Lord. This gate of the Lord into which the righteous shall enter. I will praise thee for thou hast heard me. How many can say amen to that? Amen. And thou art become my salvation. The stone which the builders refuse is become the headstone of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. So it's not the doing of a man. It's the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. Now notice here what David is saying is that the day that the Lord has made is the day that the capstone or the stone that was rejected will become the capstone. That is the day that the Lord has made. And it's not a day of mourning, it's a day of rejoicing. Amen. Amen. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. 
Heavenly Father, on this weekend of Thanksgiving, Lord, as it was said, we have so much to be thankful for, Lord. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your life. We thank you for your natural blessings, Lord, but we thank you for salvation, Lord. We thank you, Father, for the gift of eyesight in these last days to see what you're doing in our midst, Lord. We thank you for opening the ears of our understanding to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. And Father, we're thankful for another opportunity to serve you, to speak on your behalf, to hear from you, Lord. We invite you, Father. The prophet of God will often say that any man who knows how to read can read this Bible, Lord. But it takes the Spirit to give us the context, the interpretation. So, Father, as we yield to the Holy Spirit this morning to bring forth your word, may you give spiritual understanding to your people. We pray in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. And you may have your seats. I like to take for a title this thought that the Lord gave me when I was at the airport. You know, I, I was praying, and one uh, brother had invited me to come, and I prayed, and I felt to come. And uh, I thought, since this is the will of the Lord for me to come, surely you'll give me something to preach very easily. And I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed, and it wasn't until the airport, while I was waiting for my flight there, this thought began to come together, and I was up all night till late this morning. And I thought this would be a blessing to you. The title today is, This Day is That Day. Amen. This Day is That Day. And if I can take a subtitle, it will be The Right Attitude Towards the Day in Which You Live. The Right Attitude Towards Your Day. And uh, I'll, I'll build on the foundation of certain things that I say to the young people on Friday. So for the young people, you'll get part two uh, today. But when we talk about attitude, for a definition, you're in attitude is a settled way of thinking. It's a settled way of thinking or feeling about someone or something. Typically one that is reflected in the person's behavior. So the way you feel about something or the way you think about something will be reflected in your behavior towards that thing. That's what an attitude is. And an attitude can only affect the person who has it. Right? So if you have a particular attitude towards someone or something, which is to say if you have a settled way of thinking towards them, that only affects you. And an attitude will begin to influence your words, and an attitude will begin to influence your actions. So based on your attitude, your words are going to reflect what your attitude is. Your behavior is going to reflect what your attitude is. And ultimately, the atmosphere in which you live we reflect your attitude because the atmosphere is created by the things that we speak, the thoughts that we have, and the behavior that we, that we portray. That's what makes up our attitude. And if you have a bad attitude, you're not pleasant to be around, right? Because of the atmosphere around you. So we know that many people sometimes will have a certain attitude towards, say, rain or snow. You know, you feel a certain way about it and you have a negative attitude towards it and that begins to affect you. And then you start to have the same attitude every year when the season changes. Because you're like, ah, I don't want this snow again. I don't want this rain again. And that was me when I moved to BC. I, was, I got tired of the rain. And I had a bad attitude about it. <laughs> but then that attitude only affects you. Yeah. Then it can change your mood. It can change your behavior. I don't want to go out. I don't want to do anything. I want to stay on because of your attitude. Yeah. But if you only change your attitude towards that thing, right. then everything changes around you. It can be the same snowfall. It can be the same rain, 
But if your attitude towards it change, then your behavior towards it change. And all of a sudden, you can say, I want to go out today. I want to do something different today. I don't care whether it's raining or snowing because you have a different attitude. The prophet of God says this. He says, because I think one of the horriblest things is to see a man or a woman that's constantly complaining. He says, God, keep me from it. See, that weakens faith all the time, you know? Say, so I know as they get older, each one of us, as we're getting older, we're going to get something happen or something happen to us. And I know those little things are going to keep accumulating. And that's as you get older, they just got to do. But I think one of the most horrible things is for Satan to crown some person's life, a crabbed old man or an old woman. See, I hope that I can bear my burdens. So what is the prophet of God telling us here? He says that if you're finding it hard to wear faith, or if it's hard for you to believe in the promises of God, perhaps the issue is your attitude. Perhaps it's your complaining that's weakening your faith. And we find that many believers say, well, I don't have, I don't have my faith is weak. I don't have a strong faith like others. What's your attitude? Are you constantly complaining about circumstances in your life? Are you constantly looking at others and seeing God answering their prayer, but your prayers are not being answered, and you're having a negative attitude towards God? That weakens faith. Faith cannot be created, or God cannot mature faith in the heart of a believer that's constantly complaining. But Rabbi Adam is telling us that as life goes on, each one of us, we will accumulate things. There's going to be a lot of things happen to us, circumstances, just because... That's how life is. But it says that the wrong attitude is to complain about it. But the right attitude is to bear your burdens. It says, Lord, please help me bear my burdens. That is the right attitude towards a trial. That's the that's right attitude towards bad things happening in one person's life. But the wrong attitude is to complain. And then your attitude begins to affect how you speak, how you behave, your atmosphere, and ultimately weakens your faith. The prophet of God says, and you can never cast a devil out by the wrong attitude. It takes love to do that. And love is the most powerful force that there is in the world. Now, if you notice, the devil is always hate. Hate is of the devil. And when people hate someone, remember, it's a terrible devil to despise or to dislike someone. You mustn't do that. So it takes the right attitude to have prevailing power over the devil. Because you cannot cast the devil with the wrong attitude. So it takes the right perspective or the right attitude to overcome. A wrong attitude won't do it. You will never get anything from God without having the right attitude. This is why the prophet of God says that the right mental attitude towards every promise of God will bring it to come to pass in your life. That means you have to have the right attitude towards the word of God. The wrong attitude won't get you there, right? And sometimes we see people that have a need in their lives and, and they're praying and they're looking unto the Lord for it and, and maybe it's taking years and years and God is not doing anything for them, so to speak, but they're looking at the friends or they're looking at another family and every prayer that they pray, God answers that prayer. You know, perhaps they've been wanting a child and they've been praying, Lord, give me a child. And in the span of 10 years, there's been 10 women giving birth. And they start having the wrong attitude towards God. 
And instead of rejoicing that God is giving life to this woman and saying, if you did it for them, you can do it for me. They have the wrong attitude and say, when is going to be my turn? Why always them? You answer the prayers. When are you going to answer my prayer? That's the wrong attitude. The right attitude is to rejoice over the blessings of God in somebody else's life. That's the right attitude. If you're in a fiery furnace and somebody else, God is answering all the prayers, rejoice that God is in that person's life. Don't feel bad about it. Don't have a negative attitude towards God and say, you care about them, but you don't care about me. That's the wrong attitude. And we get in trouble in our walk with the Lord by simply having the wrong attitude. If you want to attract the blessings of God in your life, when God blesses somebody, rejoice. When God answers somebody's prayer, rejoice. Perhaps God has healed a sister from cancer as we were this morning and you're still bad in cancer, rejoice. Because the God that did it for her can do it for you if you have the right attitude. That's what it comes down to, saints, is to have the right attitude. Just laying the foundation here before we go into our text, I'm not going to be long. I usually don't preach more than 45 minutes. So we see in the scripture here, in the book of Judges, chapter 14, you'll have to turn to it, but you can if you want. It'll be verse 14, uh, verse 2 and 3 from chapter 14. The Bible tells us that Samson went down to Timnath and saw a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. And he came up and told his father and his mother and said, I have seen a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me to wife. Verse 3, then his father and his mother said unto him, Is there never a woman among the daughters of thy brethren, or among all my people, that thou goest to take a wife of the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said unto his father, Get her for me, for she pleases me well. But his father, now verse 4, But his father and his mother knew not that it was the Lord, that he sought an occasion against the Philistines. For at that time, the Philistines had dominion over Israel. So there was a time where the Philistines had dominion over Israel, and God wanted to avenge Israel. God wanted to destroy the Philistines, but God needed a reason to do it because it's just. So God started to seek an occasion and an opportunity to avenge the Israelites, and he puts it on Samson's heart to want to marry this woman. And we cannot go into this, into this story, but if you read chapter 15 and chapter 16, you will see how the story unfolds, and Samson kills a lot of the Philistines because of this. But the scripture says that his father and his mother did not know that this was of the Lord. In other words, they did not have the right perspective of this. They didn't have the right attitude towards Samson, what Samson was doing because they thought, why would you marry an uncircumcised Philistine girl? But they did not know that God had a different attitude towards it. So sometimes God allows situations and circumstances in our lives, and we don't understand the purpose of it. Parents, sometimes God will allow your children to go through something, and you don't understand why he's doing it. And you say, then why would you go that way? But God in himself, he's seeking a reason. There is a purpose beyond what God allows. The prophet of God says in the church, but that God is not the author of frustration. Amen. So if there wasn't a purpose beyond suffering, he will be the author of frustration. So sometimes God allows things to come in our lives, things that are going to cause us pain. But if there was no purpose behind it, he will be the author of frustration. 
But because there is a purpose behind it, he's the prince of peace. In other words, to have peace in the midst of the storm is to know the purpose of God beyond your trials. It's not the purpose of God beyond every situation. It's not the purpose of God beyond what he allows in your life. And even if you don't have the knowledge of it, you have to trust that God has a reason for it. And have the right attitude towards what God allows in your life. All right, so now let's go into our text here. The prophet of God says in the message, the super sign. He says, but remember, God's clock will be just exactly on time. All these things has to be this way. It has to be all done according to his great knowledge, his foreknowledge. For by foreknowledge, he could predestinate, not by his desire, but by his knowledge. Now, this is, this is important here because God doesn't predestinate based on his desire. It's based on his foreknowledge. Because he foreknew you. He knew the choices that you will make. He knew what you wanted. He knew your love for his word. He knew you always wanted God. Based on that knowledge, he predestinated you. Okay? Now, he's not willing that any should perish. But by his foreknowledge, he knew who would accept it and who would not. Therefore, he can make everything work according to his big time clock that's ticking away. For he could foretell the end from the beginning. And therefore, he knew what we would live in this day. He knew that this will be our day. And he says, he had plans for this day. I love that statement. So he has had plans for every day and never has, never has one of his plans ever failed. He is always on time. How many make plans? You know, you want to say, okay, Thanksgiving weekend, this is what we're going to do. Uh, we might go away. We might go to Quebec. We'll go to Ottawa. We'll do this. We'll do that. We'll have dinner at the church or whatever. You make plans, right? You can plan to do things uh, during the weekend. What are you going to do this weekend? Maybe I'm going to stay home. I'm not going to do anything. But what the prophet of God is telling us that God has a plan for this day that you're living in. And he says that he's had a plan for every day. So in the beginning, when we talk about a plan for every day, my mind goes back to Genesis 1, where there's seven days of creation, and God had a plan for every day. So if you ask God, what are you planning on doing on Saturday? He says, I'm going to rest, because that's what he did on the seventh day. That was his plan, to do nothing. So God made plans in his mind for creation. Now when you read the Bible in Genesis 1, it may seem like, Brother Abraham says this, it may seem like God said, let there be, and it was, and that was the first day. Then God came on the second day and spoke again, let there be, and it was, and that was the second day. I don't have the time to go through this. Uh, I don't have the quote in front of me, rather. But Brother Abraham says that that's not how it was. He says, God spoke everything at once. Okay? At the beginning of creation, God said, let there be this, let there be that, let there be, let there be, let there be, let there be. He spoke at once. And he had a plan for every day, so every word that he spoke was supposed to be fulfilled on a particular day. So the message of the first day brought forth the creation of the first day, okay? So he spoke his word, and each word that was spoken had a time in which that word would come to manifestation. Each day of creation had its own message. So the message of the first day brought forth light. Because that's what he created. The message of the second day brought forth the firmament. The message of the third day brought forth the dry land. 
the gathering of the waters, the herbs and the trees yielding fruits, the message of the fourth day produced the sun, the moon, and all the stars. The message of the fifth day was the animals that were created, the beasts of the, of the earth and the birds of the sky. And the message of the sixth day was man. And the message of the seventh day was a silence. It was rest. God just rested. So each day of creation had its own message. But God had a plan. Right? But I'm saying that God, when he dwelled by himself, he was Elah Elohim, was the self-existing one. And in his mind, he had a plan. One day, God thought about having a son. And he said, I'm going to have a son one day. I'm the self-existing one. There's no other being like me. You know, I want another being that's just like me. I want to bring forth a son that's going to be exactly like me. When I look at him, I'm going to say, this is me. This is the reflection of who I am. And this is, this is the one that has all my attributes and he has all my characteristics. He has my nature. My spirit is in him. God wanted that. And God made a plan for that day. And that was the sixth day. Now, am I going too fast? Now, if you were an, if you were an angel that God had created... And God asked you, say, you know what? I'm going to start creating, after God had created angels, I'm going to create the earth, I'm going to create this, I'm going to create that. And God had asked you, which day do you want to be living in? Which day do you want to witness? You can only choose one day. You can be there on the first day when I create heaven and earth. You can be there on the second day when I create the firmament. You can be there on the fourth day. You can be there on the fifth day. You can be there on the sixth day. You choose. If you're an angel, which day would you choose? Somebody say what? Seven. Somebody say seven. Somebody say six days. Somebody say fifth day. Up to you to choose. Choose which day you live in. Now, imagine what happened on the sixth day and what happened on the seventh day. On the sixth day, so when God, had, a lot of the scripture pencils down in Genesis chapter one here, is when God wanted to create the trees or the animals, God commanded to the earth. Bible says, and God spake to the earth and said, let the earth bring forth. When God wanted to create the fish and the birds and all the animals, God spoke to the sea and said, bring forth. But when God wanted to create a man, he spoke to himself. And said, let us make man into our image. So the birds, the, the, the waters were supposed to produce the fish, the earth, the trees. But God was going to bring forth God. God was going to bring forth an attribute that's just like him. He didn't speak to the seas. He didn't speak to the earth. He spoke to himself because out of God came his son. Now on that day where God created man, God looked at that day and said, This day is that day that I had in the back part of my mind where I will have a son on the face of the earth. That's going to be just like me. This day is that day. Once something that was in the back part of God's mind, a plan that he had made in his mind, and now that plan came to fruition, and he has a son on the earth. What a glorious day that is. Think about the joy of becoming a father when you see, when you see the, something that's a product of you. That's flesh of your flesh. That's your son. That's your child. That's your gene. That's born of your bones, so to speak. My DNA is in him. What a joy that is to a father. Now think about the joy of God. 
dwelling by himself. And now, not angels, not creation, but now he has a man. That's just like him. Right? Bible says that when the angel looked at Adam and they say, Lord, he's just like you. Now, if you were to choose between watching God create the animals and watching God create the trees and watching God create heaven and earth, all the sun, all the moon, or watching God create man in his image, which day would you rather see? Now, obviously, the seven days, all another, another subject altogether, I'm not going to go into that. But now, Adam was male and female. Amen? Amen. Bible tells us that. Amen. Then later on, God separated the female part out of Adam and formed Eve and helpmates. And then God performed the wedding ceremony and watched Adam care and rejoice over the one he had found. That was flesh of his flesh, bone of his bone. Now, think about this for a moment with me here. God is a spirit. And in God is male and female. We know that, right? So when God created Adam in his image, Adam was both male and female. And now God removes the female part out of Adam and makes him a bride. And puts that female part in Adam. And now the same Adam is expressed in two different bodies. In the male and in the female, but still Adam. And now God is seeing Adam, his son. With his bride. And Adam is caring for Eve. And Bible says that they will go for a walk and the wind will blow and her hair. And Eve will say, Adam, the wind is too strong. And Adam will say, shh, be still. And the wind will stop. And, and God is watching that. He's like, wow, he's caring for his wife and he's caring for his bride. And, and there's something in God that said, I'm going to be a husband one day. I'm going to be a bridegroom one day. That was in God's mind to be a husband. But now Adam, oh my Adam begins to express the attribute of bridegroom before God himself. Now, I start to think of God being somewhat envious. Oh, I wish I had that, Adam. Oh, I put that in you and I gave you a wife, Adam. Here you are with your wife, but one day I'll have my wife. One day I'll have my bride and I'll walk with her and I, and I will care for her the way you care for Eve. And, and I will take care of her and she'll be born of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Oh, Adam, Adam, you're expressing that. You're expressing what's in my mind and here you have your bride. It's so beautiful. One day, so will I have a bride. This day is that day. This day is that day where God has a bride on the face of the earth that he can care for like Adam. That she's born of my bones. She's flesh of my flesh. Oh, what a thrill to Adam's heart. And I, I just picture God looking at that and, and God is saying, oh, Adam. Oh, Adam, you have your wife with you and I still have a female part in me. I'm still male and female. But, oh, Adam, you, you have expressed it. I, I, I gave you a helpmate, Adam. I gave you a bride. And the female part that was in you is now in her. Oh, Adam, th this is beautiful. But one day, so will I also take the female part out of me. So will I also spread my arms at the cross. And, and my side will be riven. And, and out of me will come a church. And she will be my bride. This day is that day. Amen. 
Oh, how much God must have loved to see that. Now, unfortunately, Satan comes in Eden. And he comes to wreck the plan of God. God's family on earth is destroyed by sin. But then God promised that the seed of the woman would come and crush the head of the serpent. And every prophet throughout history magnified this prophecy by providing more details to it. So when God started to deal with Abraham, we found out that this seed was going to come out of Abraham. It was going to be Abraham's seed. Then we found out it was going to be out of the tribe of Judah. Then we found out it was going to be a prophet like unto Moses. Then we found out it was going to be out of the house of David. And we found out it was going to be born of a virgin. And then we found out it was going to be out of Bethlehem. We found out it was going to be God Emmanuel, God with us. We found out that this seed will have a forerunner. So God begins through the prophets to give us more details and more insight into this prophecy of Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman. So God begins to deal with Abraham. Brother Bible says that Abraham is one of the pillars of the masterpiece, right? Abraham, faith. Isaac, election. Jacob, grace. And Joseph, perfection. So now, God deals with Abraham and promises him a son, and we know that the seed of Abraham is really Christ, the royal seed. But God also told Abraham that his seed will go into Egypt and sojourn there for 400 years. And we know the story that, you know, there was, an, there was a famine in Egypt, and then Pharaoh had a dream. And then Joseph, being a prophet, had the interpretation of the dream. And because of Joseph's wisdom and Joseph's dream, Egypt became, Egypt became the main power on the face of the earth. All the other nations had no grain, but Egypt had grain. That was a great day to be an Egyptian when Joseph was in Egypt. Right? But then the Bible says, then came a Pharaoh that did not know Joseph. And this Pharaoh enslaved the people. Right? Now, without a doubt, the Hebrews in Goshen, they heard about all the testimonies of how God used Joseph and how he was in prison and, and, and how he, had those, he interpreted those dreams. And then Pharaoh had a dream and he interpreted those dreams. And Joseph became the right-hand man of Pharaoh. And he brought Jacob and his family into Goshen. And they had an abundance of grain and all the Hebrews heard that testimony. But if you ask them Hebrews and say, which day would you want to live in? They will say in the days of Joseph. Because now they're enslaved. They will say, oh, to, to go back to the days of Joseph where, where we had grain in Egypt, where Pharaoh respected us, where we had our own place of dwelling in Goshen, where God was with us and we had an abundance of grain and the famine was sore on all the earth, but we had grain and Oh, to go back in those days. Now we're enslaved and, and now we're being tortured by Pharaoh and now we're, we're enslaved and working so hard. Oh, if only we could go back. Yeah. Amen. But there was Amram and Jochebeth. Yeah. The prophet of God says that Amram prayed and prayed earnestly for deliverance. He prayed, he went upstairs in his little room and he fasted and he prayed and he fasted and prayed till he became so thin and he had lost so much weight. And he would come and put the kids, back, uh, kids to bed and he would go back in his room and pray some more because he said, Lord, remember your promise to us. S send us a deliverer. Lord, remember, send us a deliverer. The prophet of God says in the message teaching on Moses, he says, he said, Amram. Then the angel of the Lord came down to Amram. 
I have been sent from heaven to tell you God heard your prayer. And I've come to tell you that he's going to send a deliverer. He remembers all of his promises. Amen. Amen. And I see the angel now. I look at him. He's pulling out a sword. He points it to the north. And Amram looked and he said, just to the point of this sword lays the promised land. And I promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, your fathers, that you people would inherit that land. And I've heard the groaning of the people. I've heard the crying of the children. And, and I've come down. And I want you to know that you, Amram, are going to play a great part in this. Because you were faithful in prayer. You were faithful in your house. And about this time next year, Yochebed, your lovely wife, is going to embrace a little baby. And that little baby boy is going to be a deliverer. Now, if you're a Hebrew, complaining about Goshen, having the wrong attitude about what's happening in Egypt, you want to go back to a previous age. You want to go back to the days of Joseph. You want to go back to the days of Jacob. You want to go back to the days of Abraham. But if you're Amram, which day would you rather live in? This day. Because this day is the day of the great deliverance of God. The promise that God gave Abraham that 400 years will be in Egypt and by a mighty hand he will bring us out to possess our land. Which day would you rather live in? The days of Joseph? The days of Abraham? This day. Because this day is the day that God promised. This day is that day that he told Abraham about. And Amram, you're going to play a part in this day. So now Amram's attitude towards his day was the right one. He wasn't trying to go to a previous age. He wasn't trying to go back in history. He was trying to see what God was doing in his day. And then God revealed by a messenger to him that he had a part to play in that day. Which day would you rather live in, Amram? This day. But your people is enslaved. But you're slaves in Egypt and this Pharaoh doesn't know Joseph. This Pharaoh is ungrateful. Would you not rather go back in the days of Joseph? Amram will say no. This is the day that the Lord has made. This is the day that I will be glad and rejoice. This is the day where God fulfills his promises. This is the day where he remembers his covenant with our father Abraham. This day is that day. So it depends. Are you the Hebrews complaining? Or are you Amram praying? Because your attitude determines your behavior. Now... If we go into the scripture that we read in Luke chapter 4, I love the scripture. The Bible tells us that Jesus took the scroll of the prophet Isaiah to read the scripture. And it says, and when he had opened the book, he had found the place where it is written. Now, Isaiah said a lot of things, right? 66 chapters, Isaiah prophesied a lot of things. But Jesus expressly went to a chapter that pertained to his first coming. He went to read what the scripture said about him. So when he had opened the book, the Bible says he took the book and found where it was written. Saints, I say to you, take the book. But take the book and find what it is written concerning you. Take the book and see what the scriptures say about you. Take the book and see what the prophecies say about you. Okay? Now this book reveals who God is. This book exposes who the devil is. 
This book shows us the plan of redemption. This book tells us about tribulation and wars and vials and trumpets and this and that and the seals. But this book also tells you who you are. Open the book and find where it is written concerning you. And Jesus read that scripture and he says, today, the scripture is fulfilled. In other words, he's saying that that day that Isaiah spoke about, this day is that day. You are living in the day where where the prophet spoke concerning me is being fulfilled in your midst. So if you ask the Pharisees, which day would you rather live in? This day or in the past? No doubt the Pharisees will say, no, I want to live in the days of Moses. You know, because they constantly refer back to, back to Moses. Maybe the Pharisees will say, oh, to be there when Moses parted the Red Sea. And when manna was falling from heaven. And when the Jordan was open and we possessed the land. And, and God opened the Red Sea and destroyed Pharaoh and his army. Oh, to go back to those days. Maybe if you ask the Sadducees, which day would you rather live in? And they'll say, oh, in the days of our father Abraham, Lord. He was out of worship and God spoke to him and promised him a son. And, and God called him out and God led Abraham, our father. And here we are the children of our father Abraham. Oh, to go back in those days of Abraham. That's anointed by an unclean spirit. Bible says in the book of Revelation that look like frogs, always looking back to a past day. That's what the Pharisees did, constantly looking back to a past day. But if you ask John the Baptist, which day would you rather live in? What do you think his answer will be? This day, for I am the forerunner of the first coming of the Lord. The Messiah is at hand. He is coming. Which day would you rather live in, John? This day. John, you're going to be killed, John. We're going to cut your head, John. Which day would you rather live in? This day. Why? Because John had the right attitude towards his day. He knew that he was a part of the mystery of God for his day. I'm building up to something. And I don't even need to continue because I know you're already there with me. You're already there with me, aren't you? Which day would you rather live in? In the days of Paul? Which day would you rather live in? In the days of Jesus? Which day would you rather live in? In the days of Jacob? This day. Because you are a part of his mystery. You are a part of this coming of the Lord. This day is that day. Now, Jesus came and fulfilled all the scriptures said about him. Until he went to the cross. And died. Now, the disciples were so disappointed. They're confused. This is a mighty prophet. And how, how can these things be? We thought he was going to be the deliverer of Israel. How, how is he dead? And they had the wrong attitude about their day. All they're looking at is the conspiracy theories and the plots and the ecumenical council coming together to crucify the word. And all they're looking at is people trading Barabbas for Jesus. And what they're looking at is this man will heal the sick and this man will raise the dead. Why is this people so unfair towards our Lord? That's all they looked at. Now Jesus goes and commits his spirit into the hands of God, his body to the grave, and his soul goes down into paradise. Now you think... And those that were in paradise had the same attitude as the disciples. Those that were in paradise saw the deliverance. 
They were in paradise and Jesus came and said, Oh, the blood has been shed, Abraham. The blood has been shed, Jacob. The blood has been shed, Daniel. All you saints of the Old Testament who stood for me, I have come to take you up with me. This is the day that you've been waiting for. In paradise there was a revival. In paradise there was rejoicing. And Abraham said, This is the day that the Lord has made. And David and all the prophets rejoiced. But on earth, wrong attitude. Why is this happening? Why is this happening? In heaven, oh, what a rejoice in heaven. The gulf that separated God from man was now closed. The lamb has now shed his blood to redeem man back to God. Abraham's son, they were lost. The human race that was lost has now been purchased. Heaven was rejoicing. Paradise was rejoicing. But the disciples, wrong attitude. Having no clue what God was doing in their day. Even after the resurrection, in, in, in Luke chapter 24, Cleopas and his friend, on his way to Emmaus, on their way to Emmaus, the Bible says Jesus came and started walking with them. And they were talking and talking. And Jesus says, what, what manner of communication is this? What kind of language is this? See, because their attitude affected their speech. And then Jesus said, what, why is your countenance sad? They are living in the greatest time known to man till then. The Lamb of God had come. The Lamb that was waiting for for thousands and thousands of years. That prophecy of the seed of the woman that took 4,000 years to be fulfilled was now being fulfilled right in the day they were living in. And they were sad. Wrong attitude. And then Jesus begins to talk with them. And says, oh, fool and slow of heart to believe all that the prophet has said. And brother, and sister, he started to talk about all the prophecies of the Old Testament pertaining to him. What is Jesus trying to do? Fix their attitude. Fix the perspective. You're looking at it the wrong way. Why are you so sad about all these things? You, you ought to be rejoicing. He said, if, if you only knew that you were living in the days that Isaiah spoke of. If you knew that you were living the days of Genesis 3.15 being fulfilled. This day is that day that God promised to Adam and said the seed of the woman will crush the serpent. This day is that day. Why are you so sad? But instead they were scared and sad. Now remember, Jesus now tells them, don't you remember what Moses said? The Lord God will send you a prophet like unto me. Well, this day is that day. Don't you remember what David said? They pierced my bones and all my bones stare at me and I'm betrayed by my friends. This day is that day. Remember when David said he will not suffer his holy one to see corruption? Well, this day, this day is that day. Remember when Isaiah said a virgin shall conceive and remember when he said that he was wounded for our iniquity? The chastisement of our peace was on him and with his stripes we were healed. This day is that day. If the disciples had the right attitude and revelation about what God did in their day? Maybe someone would say, now we can claim certain promises in the Bible. They were laying dormant. Now that the blood has been shed, we have access to God. The right attitude will cause a rejoicing as opposed to a sadness. The disciples look at circumstances. They look at politics. They look at modern events. But they didn't see how the prophecy made them clear. 
The prophet of God says, Now look, in the days of the coming of the Lord Jesus, why didn't those people recognize John when the Bible plainly said by Isaiah, there will be a voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. He said, because they was looking upon something that had been done. See, basing their thoughts upon some message that went forth beforehand and failed to see the present manifestation of God in the day they were living in. He says, and Christians everywhere are trying to look back to some code of ethics from Luther, Wesley, Sankey, Finney, Knox, and Calvin, which none of us can speak evil of, but what a day. This is a day in the past. So probably what I'm saying that the Pharisees had the wrong perspective of things. They looked at the message that had gone beforehand and missed the present manifestation of God. And he goes on to say Christians are doing the same thing by looking at men that God had used in the past and missing what God is doing now. Aren't message believers doing the same thing? Right? By looking back in 1963, by looking back at 65, by looking back at 64, and oh, if only I could live in the days of the prophet. If, if only I could be there in those prayer lines where he discerned the thoughts. If, if, if only I could be there when he raised the dead. If I could be in one of those tent meetings where supernatural was happening every day and the pillar of fire was visible and, and the cloud came down in 63. If I could go back to those days. Yeah. Careful, Pharisee. Yeah. Careful, Sadducee. Yeah. That's good. That's a man that God used 50 years ago. Yeah. Right? And I'm not discounting the message. We're still living in that day. But back then the message was being preached by a prophet around the world. But on this day, that message that was in tape form, this day, this message is in human form. The message that was in tape, in this day, this message is in a people. The bride that that prophet spoke of, that bride is in this room today. That invisible army he spoke of is here today. You are she, you are that invisible church without spot or wrinkle. The bride that the prophet came to call out, you are that bride, you are here this day. Those mysteries that were hidden in the seven seals that, that the prophet opened up, and now those mysteries, it's all that we preach every service. You are living in that day. The message is not in one man. Now you're living the day with the message. It's in the body of Jesus Christ. It's in the people. The message is in our children. The message is in our home. It's in our families. It's in our marriages. The message is in Canada. It's in the U.S. It's in Africa. It's in Asia. It's in Europe. The message is in English. It's in French. It's in Spanish. It's in Indian. The message is in white people, black people, Asian people, native Indians. The message is here. You are living in that day. But there's a bride of every tongue, every tribe, every nation. You are living in that day. Do you want to go back to 65? No, sir. You're living in that day. This is a day that the Lord has made. I will be glad and rejoice in it. Stop looking back to 50 years ago or looking back to a previous day. Rejoice in this day. Now the prophet says, we see this age that we're living in, and it's one of the grandest ages of all ages. This Laodicea church age is the grandest of all the church ages because it's the ending of time 
and the blending of eternity. And then it's the greatest sinful age. It's more sin in this age than there's ever been. And the powers of Satan is many times harder to fight against than it was in any other age. This is what I told the young people on Friday. This is true. But if you read this quote and all you see is, is this statement that he's making that it's the greatest sinful age, you're missing what I said in the beginning. He said this age we're living in is one of the grandest of all ages. You can look at the powers of Satan and have the wrong attitude towards your day. Or you can look at the fact it's the greatest of ages and have the right attitude towards your day. This day, Brother says, we are standing tonight upon the brim and watching come to pass and unfold two great scenes. And those two great scenes are these. One of them is the ending of history and the other, the ending of time. And many great men down through the ages have longed to see this hour they were now approaching. And as we live in this glorious setting of mortal sun and the breaking of eternal light, I do feel that we're living in one of the grandest ages that ever man has been permitted to live. Permitted. God gave you permission to be a part of this day. The grandest of all days. If God had asked Paul, which day would you rather live in? Paul would say this day, but it wasn't permitted to Paul. If Jacob was asked, he would say this day, but he wasn't permitted to Jacob, to Peter, to Irenaeus, to Martin, to Luther. It wasn't permitted, but it has been permitted to you to live in this day. Now he says, I believe that we're living in one of the greatest ages that ever man has been permitted to live in because it's the closing out of time and the blending of eternity. Now, what he's saying is that we're living in a transitional age. We're living in an hour where, the comes to, where time comes to an end, right? And eternity is breaking forth. We're living right in that junction of time, okay? Now, what he's describing here is the opposite of what happened in Genesis chapter 3 when Adam fell. Because what happened is that when, when Adam and Eve lived in eternal youth, sin came into Eden. And Adam found himself living in the closing of eternity and the blending of time. The opposite of where we are. So Adam was an eternal being. He was going to live forever. And then now sin came into Eden and Eve sinned. Right? So Eve was going to be caught in time because of sin. And then Adam is there in the middle. He's right at the, at the transition between eternity and time. He can either stay in eternity or he can step into time. Right. And Adam was there with a the book in his hand that, was, uh, that we know it's a title deed, represented by a book in Revelation chapter 5. And Adam is there with a the book in his hand and he's thinking, do I forfeit this book or do I keep this book and stay? Right. Do I forfeit the book? I love how the, Lord, how the Holy Spirit gave this to me and he said, and Adam took a page out of God's book and said, I will die for Eve. Adam took a page out of God's own book because God will do exactly the same thing. And Adam said, I will forfeit the book and, and I will come and die. I will, I will come and accept sin in my life and I will take on sin yeah. for my bride. Yeah. So Adam was in that transition 
So what the prophet of God is telling us, that we're not living in the closing out of time and the blending of eternity, which means that we're not living in the days where God is reversing what happened to Eden. We're living in the day where God is taking back what Adam has lost and giving it back to the church. Have the right attitude. Prophet says, man's heart are failing for fear, perplexed at time, distress between the nations. And the earth is getting so nervous till it's bursting forth earthquakes everywhere. Jesus said it. It will be that way. There will be earthquakes and, and diverse places. What's the matter? The earth knows that she's doomed. She's nervous. The world is nervous. But the church is writing in the gospel. Oh, I love that. Many sort of fainting for fear. They're looking at politics. They're looking at what's happening in the world. And, and seeing that's increasing. And wars and famine of wars. And rumors of wars and all the things. And, but brother, I said, but the church is writing on the gospel. It depends on what you're looking at. If you're looking at, oh, woe is me. And oh, this doomsday clock. But look at the word of God and what God is doing in your day. The church is writing on the gospel. She's going on and on and on. Yeah. He said, let the waves ride, whatever they want to. The time is getting worse, but omnipotence is arising. Yeah. Glory. Yeah. Now I said, I uh, usually don't preach more than an hour, but it's 50 minutes already. Now, I'm almost, I'm not that far off, actually. Now, Paradon says, this is a horrible time. But it's the most glorious time yeah. in the world Amen. to preach the gospel. Yeah. Brother Ed, would you like to preach another day than this day? <laughs> Max, do you want to preach another day? Right? This is a glorious day to preach the gospel. Yeah. And it says, and if I could stood on the brink of time before it come into existence, and the Father would have looked at me and said, what time down through the ages would you want to preach? I would want it right now. Just right now. Just before his coming. If God would have spoke to me back before the foundation of the world, when I was a thought in his mind, and so were you. And if he had said, what age would you want to live in? I would have said right now, this is it. The most glorious time that there is. Now we know what the prophet says about Laodicea. We know what the realities of our days are. We don't even have to read about it. We live it. We know that. So what the prophet is saying that this is the glorious day to live in. That he would not want to live in any other day than this day. Is he speaking out of turn? Is he out of line? Is he pretending? Or does the prophet know what he's talking about? Right? He says, it may be my going home time. It looks very much that way. If it is, they'll rise somebody after me that will take the message on and you'll be an odd person, but he will rise after this and take the message on and you'll listen to it as long as scripture stay with it. And if it isn't, then there is coming another portion now. For I do believe that we're living in the last days and I'm thankful that I live in this day. Now he says, I wouldn't trade this day for no day. I wouldn't trade this day for no day. Brother Brana, would you not rather live in the days of Jesus Christ in his flesh? No. I want to trade this day for no day. Would you not rather live there in Babylon with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and go into the fire furnace? No. This day. Would you not live in the days of Paul where the church was being formed and great revelation was breaking through for the first time in the history of the church? Would you not live in those days? No. I wouldn't trade it for any other day. 
There is no other day that's ever taken this day. It's the most glorious day that's ever been on earth. Oh, what will Moses and Elijah and Paul and Silas and those great heroes of faith in the days gone by, if they could rise up and pick up a history book and look exactly what they had prophesied about come to pass, see where it now? The reason why this day is a glorious day is because it's the fulfillment of all that the prophet have said. We're living in the day of the manifestation. We're living the day of the closing out of time where every promise pertaining to the church is being fulfilled in our midst. Until there's only one left and that's the coming of the Lord. Right when I say that, there is nothing, anything left for the church. Seven seals, open. Thunders, revealed. Trumpets, revealed. Vials, everything, all the promises pertaining to your age have been fulfilled. So Brother Manam here, he could feel a change coming in his ministry. He didn't know, maybe I'm going to die. because This is 1961, uh, 63, just before the opening of sales in January. And he could feel there was a change that was going to come. And that was the opening of the word. And now he says, this is the greatest age because everything that's been prophesied is not coming to manifestation. The Lord himself shall descend. He says, you're living in the day just before he's coming. The Lord himself shall descend with a shout. Now, Brother Manam says this, Jesus comes three times. We know the quote. He says, the first time he comes to redeem his bride. The second time he comes to take his bride in the rapture. And the third time he comes with his bride to reign. So in other words, there's two things. There's the coming and the purpose of the coming. Okay? So you come to. The first time he came but the purpose of that coming was redemption. The second time he comes, but the purpose of his coming is rapture. The third time he comes with his bride, but the purpose is to sit on the throne and rule. So there is a coming and the purpose of the coming. Now the purpose of the coming cannot be fulfilled unless he comes first. How can he come? How can he redeem you if he doesn't come first? He has to come to redeem. How can he rapture you if he doesn't come first? He has to come to rapture you. You are living in the second coming of the Lord. You are in that cycle. That cycle has already started. For the Lord himself has descended in these last days with a shout. That's the reason the prophet says that my ministry is not like a prophet or an evangelist. My ministry is to declare that he is here. What is he talking about? The Holy Ghost? No. The Holy Ghost was here in the days of Pentecost. He's talking about God coming in the fullness of his word. You are living in those days where the word has been restored in his fullness. This is why it's the greatest age to live in. This is why I wouldn't trade it for any other age. Now, he says, we are taught in the Laodicean age that Christ was put out of his church. And was even knocking on the door trying to get back in. So when we see that happening, we know what age we're living in. And then we are at the closing of the history of the world. The book is now being finished. The last line will be wrote across it someday. And she will be closed up. Then time shall be no more. And there is a great drama being set. And angels are standing over the skies and are watching. You know what a drama is? He says, the actors are ready. You can see them acting. You can see the evil one acting. 
you can see the villain of the play, right. how he's come on the scene right. with his cunningness to deceive. But you can also see, yeah. here's another perspective, you can also see the rapture church making herself ready. And he says, it's a great sin. You can see the presence of God vindicating and making the great drama that's foretold here in his Bible to act itself out. What a time to live. The most glorious time. The men of all ages have longed for this time. The prophets of old have longed to see this hour. But they were not privileged. Now, you think that living in Laodicea, oh, what a terrible age to live in. It's a privilege. That's what he says. They were not privileged. Think about the favor and the grace of God towards you to pick and choose you to be in this last day. All the other prophets wanted that. And God said, I love you, but that privilege is not for you. I have a people in Laodicea, and they are privileged to live in the last days where they'll see this great drama come to an end. So now we're in the final scene of the drama. Each character in the drama is playing the part. Now focus your attention on the right characters. <laughs> so Brother Adam is comparing Laodicea to the final scene in a play, right? Yeah. And he's saying that, and you know that every good story has the same plot, right? There's an introduction of the main character. Then there's an introduction of a villain. Right. And then there's some complications that are caused by the villain. And then it culminates into a final struggle and confrontation. And then there's a resolution and a happy ending, right? Yeah. Every book, every movie, everything, every, every good story has the same plot. That's exactly what happened in Eden. We, we're introduced to this family, this wonderful family of Adam and Eve, and then the villain, the serpent, comes into this play. And, and, and because of the villain, there's some complications, and sin is introduced. And now through the time, we're going through time, we come to the end. Well, it's a final confrontation. There's a final struggle. There's a final battle. Because there's a happy ending. You are living in the days of transition between the final confrontation and the happy ending. You know how this story of redemption is going to end. You will be sitting in the throne with your bridegroom. What a day to live in. So now imagine, imagine missing out on the best scene of the play. You come to a play, you pay your money for it. And you want to see this play and then before the best scene you have to go out there's an emergency and you miss out on the play and everybody's talking about this play and oh what an amazing play that final scene how that main character came and and how he uncovered that villain and how he destroyed that villain and oh how they're happy at the end what a beautiful play and you feel like oh i missed out oh you know it's like oh, i wish i saw that play i wish i wish i saw that final scene uh, the first scene was nice and the and the second scene was good and the third was fine but this final scene oh i missed out Right? But you are not missing out on the final scene. Because you are part of the final scene. The other, the other prophets of the other ages, they don't get to see this scene. You are an actor in this scene. You are a part of it. You are a part of the final confrontation with the devil and you will overcome. You are going back to your happy ending. And there's an unseen host that's watching this play unfold. And they are rejoicing because they know the happy ending. You better catch that revelation and rejoice. This is the day that the Lord has made. How can you live in this glorious day and have the wrong attitude about it? 
May the Lord open your eyes and change your perspective. And you will say, I'm rejoicing night and day as I walk this narrow way. Because you will understand that the comforter is in you. You will understand you are living in the last days. What a glorious time to be living in. I believe the church of God ought to be the happiest people on the face of the earth. In spite of all struggles. This final play is an everlasting age of thanksgiving. Happy thanksgiving. Because you are living in this last day. You ought to be thankful for it. Thank you Lord for the privilege of living in this day. Thank you Lord for my eyes can see this day. The prophet saluted this day from afar. They didn't have the privilege. It doesn't mean that you're better than them. It doesn't mean that God loves you more than them. It's just the portion of grace that he extended to you. Your portion of grace was the fullness of the word. Oh my. Your portion of grace was the opening of the seals. Your portion of grace was putting on Christ. Your portion of grace was to become him. She is him. In no other age did the church have the fullness of the word. Until this day. That's what the Bible says, the, the prophet of God says that since the opening of those seals and them angels just beyond the mountain yonder, this Bible has become a new book. What a day to, be, to live in. In other words, the opening of the seals changed my perspective on the Bible. That's what the opening of the word has done in your age is to change your perspective. The way you feel about living in this day. Change your attitude towards it. There's a people that want to escape Laodicea. Oh, I, I don't want to live in this day. It's a, it's a terrible age and uh, it's a terrible day to raise families. All true. All true. Marriages are being broken apart. All true. Wars and rumors of wars. All true. Corruption and mental illness and sickness and sin and homosexuality. All true. But there's another side of it. In Laodicea, there's an open door to another age called the bright age. And you've been called to be in that age. That is your portion. And in that age, we don't complain about circumstances. In that age, we rejoice for we see why we're living in this day. I want to close with this. Now, you know, when the Lord came down on Sunset Mountain, we know that there was... This cloud, right? That appeared. Right? Now, this is how the picture was taken. This is what Life Magazine showed. This is what everybody saw. But one day, the angel of the Lord comes to Brother Branham and says, if you turn the picture, if you turn it this way, if you change your perspective, if you change the way you look at it, if you have a different attitude towards it, if you look at it from a different angle, what you see there is a supreme judge. It's Christ. See his eyes looking here, just as perfect. Can you see his eyes, his nose, his mouth? The congregation says, Amen. Just turn the picture from this way into the way it's supposed to be. This is not the way you're supposed to look at it. There is a correct way to look on this picture. 
This is not the way you're supposed to look at this age. There's a correct way to look at this day that you're living in. And when you look at this day with the correct angle, what you see is Christ in this day. You see the fullness of the word made manifest in his bride. If you have the right perspective. So when you change your perspective, the only thing you'll see is the manifestation of the word. What you see is a shout. What you see is the midnight cry. What you see is the third pool. What you see is those seven mysterious thunders. That's rapturing faith. If you can only change your perspective. What you see is what Paul saw afar off. When he said, I know in part, we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect shall come, that which is impartial shall be done away with. You are living in the day of perfection. Now, the prophet says, we're always complaining about this world, about what the world is, how wicked the world is. He says, but you forget to realize how more powerful the church is than it used to be. Depends on how you look at it. It's a terrible issue living. All oh, the world is so wicked and the world is so terrible. It's true. But don't forget. Don't forget to also consider how much more powerful you are than it used to be. The bride in this day has more power loose to her than any other church age. You are a stronger bride, more powerful than it used to be. At no other age did we have on the face of the earth an invincible army. No other place. And I love that quote in, in the church age book because he says two things there. He says, one, you're an invincible army. And one, the devil is powerless. Now, if you're an invincible army and the devil was powerful, it wouldn't matter because you're invincible. If you had no power... If you're not invisible, but the devil was powerless, it wouldn't matter because he's powerless. He can't do anything. Now the prophet takes those two things together. Not only is he powerless, but you are also invisible. So even if the devil had power, he can't overcome you. But he has no power. That's a double victory. That's a double guarantee for you young people, for your church. The devil is powerless. But just to help your faith, you're also invincible. Rest, rest, little bride. This is the day that you're living in. You're going to ascend to the throne. Yeah. Now, there's a quote that I read in the church age, but Brother Abraham says, Now, he says, There will not be one person who will sit in his throne of the Lord Jesus Christ unless he has been living that word. Your prayers, your fasting, your repentance, no matter what you present to God, none of that will gain you the privilege of sitting in that throne. It will be granted only to the word bride. The privilege of sitting in the throne is a consequence of being the word bride. So when you change your perspective about to him that will overcome and you think, I need to overcome, I need to overcome, I need to overcome, I need to overcome. Overcoming is a consequence. It's a result of being the word bride. That means it's a byproduct. Because you're the word bride, it is guaranteed that you will overcome. So don't worry about it. Don't struggle for it. You are the word. This is why the scripture says you are the word bread made flesh. So for six church ages, the vision of the church was blurry. 
But this is the only age where it's clear. For six church ages, the church was looking into a glass, Paul says. But this is the only age where we have perfect vision. For six church ages, the revelation of the word was partial. This is the only church age where we have the fullness of the word. And for thousands of years, what Adam lost that was sealed by a book is now being opened to the church. You are living in that day. In that day that John saw and he wept. Because no man was found worthy to take the book. And somebody told John, change your perspective, John. You think that there's nobody and you're crying, what is me? I'm lost. There's nobody that's going to take this book. John, relax. Change your perspective. There's one that has overcome, John. And he is worthy to take the book and lose his seals. And when God opened those seals, there was a messenger on the face of the earth waiting for that revelation for you. You are living in those days where the title deed has been restored to the church. Oh, what an age of thanksgiving. We can say happy thanksgiving to the church. Happy thanksgiving, little bride. You ought to be thankful. You ought to rejoice as David said. This is the day. What day? The day they were the stone and was rejected is now the capstone. You are living the day of the capstone. And that capstone is shouting, grace, grace, grace. You are living the double favor of grace. This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall be glad and rejoice in it. Lord Jesus, the hours are growing late. It may be even later than we're thinking. And we're happy to see this hour approaching. It is the most glorious hour that the world has ever known for the believer. For the believer. But for the rejecter, it's the most saddest time. That could ever be. They couldn't find words in the alphabet, letters to make words that could express the troubles and sorrow that lays ahead. See, it's a glorious day. I'm closing. It's a glorious day if you're a believer. Blessed are your eyes for you see these things. If you're a believer, what a glorious day. If this message has been made real to you, what a glorious day. If God opened your eyes to see the word made manifest in your day, it's a glorious age. If God spoke tenderly to your heart and you know without a doubt that this message is the truth of God for your day, you're the happiest of all people. If you're not, something's wrong. You need to change your perspective. You need to have the right attitude towards it. But if you're a rejecter, if you're not a believer, what a sad day. Now, Laodicea gets to you. It's a sad day. The mental pressure out that gets you. It's a sad day. You don't want to leave your house. You don't want to live in this day. You want to escape this age. It's a sad day for you. But I say today, change your perspective. And say, Lord, open my eyes. Let me see. Let me see what you're doing in these last days. Let me rejoice in the day that the Lord has made. Open my eyes and lay the fountain of joy. And this is not the joy from getting healed, although we thank God for that. This is not a joy from God answering a prayer that we thank God for that. This is a joy of coming to who you're meant to be. This is a joy from hearing from your theophany. This is a different type of joy that you have access to. If you don't have that joy, get that joy. You look at modern events made clear by prophecy. You look at, as Brother Ed mentioned, Israel and what's happening around the world. You know, nations are breaking. Maybe let's stand. It says, Nations are breaking. You know the song? Israel's awakening. The signs that the prophets foretold. The Gentile days numbered. With horrors and cumber, eternity soon will unfold. The day of redemption is near. 
Men's hearts are failing for fear. Be filled with the Spirit, your lamps stream and clear. Look up, your redemption is near. The right attitude in these last days is to look up, for your redemption is near. Yes, there's famine in the land. Yes, there's struggles in the east. Yes, there's wars and rumors of wars. Yes, the economy is bad. But look up. Don't look at everything else. Look up. Because this means that your bridegroom is coming. This means that your body change is not far off. This means that your happy ending is here. Look up. For your redemption is near. Be filled with the Spirit, your lamp trim and clear. Look up, your redemption is here. Let's go back to the first verse. Nations are breaking, Israel's awakening. The sun is at the prophet's foretold. This was my burden for you this morning is to wish you a happy Thanksgiving this is the day that we ought to rejoice in the Lord for his goodness for the privilege of living in this day Jesus said blessed are your eyes for this sea you know the mother of James and came to Jesus and said grant that my, my children will see one at your right hand and one at your throne or, or on your left hand and Jesus said they wanted to take your place but he said that place was predestinated for you. Yeah. It's been granted to you to sit in his throne and you're living in the last days. What the reward of the overcoming is the throne. Why? We come to an end. And as I was in fellowship with Brother Andrew the other day or yesterday, if the reward of this day is the throne for you to rule, that means this is the day of character. Because without character, you cannot rule. If God is promising you for a reward to sit on his throne, that means he has loosed a word to give you the character that's fit to rule. What a privilege it is to live in this last day that God can entrust us Amen. with rulership and dominion, with his mysteries that were hidden. But if you're not a believer, if you don't see this glorious message and this truth, look up. Make sure your lamp is trimmed and clear. Because for the unbeliever, it's a sad day. But for the believer, it's a day of Thanksgiving. Amen. I love you all. God bless you.